0: Thank you so much for joining us on
1: this special edition of The Good Fight Radio Show. On today's episode, we're having a wonderful guest by the name of William J. Federer. He's a nationally known speaker, best-selling author, and president of AmeriSearch, Inc. He's an expert in American and world history from a Christian perspective. And today, we're going to be discussing a number of topics, but specifically Islam. With me today on The Good Fight Radio Show is best-selling author William J. Federer. Welcome to the
2: show, Bill. Hey, great to be with you, Chad.
1: Well, I guess the best way to start is uh, simply ask you about your book, What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran." You also have a DVD series, uh, The Islamic Conquest, as well, where you just kind of give a, a, a great overview of the history of Islam. And, and really, for, for this part of the episode, I'd love for that to be the focus. I'd love for you to, to just ex- explain to us some of the history of Islam and why every American does need to know about what the Quran has to say.
2: Well, it's interesting that Muhammad really used the same tactics. So let's go back. He's born 570 AD. Uh, by this time, the Roman Empire is virtually all Christian. And he is in Arabia. And he uh, has his father die before he born is born. His mother dies when he's six years old. His grandfather and guardian dies, when he's eight years old. He's orphaned, he's taken in by an uncle Abu Talib, who's a merchant who takes him on camel rides. He goes to different cities and he hears about different religions. The Zoroastrians that believed that paradise was filled full of virgins. that would fulfill all the guy's desires. He heard some Christian stuff, some Jewish stuff, and uh, some of the pagan stuff in Arabia. Anyway, um, when um, he is around 25, uh, he marries a, a wealthy widow named Khadija. And he doesn't have to work. So he goes out to caves and prays and a spirit appears to him and squeezes him and commands him to read he said i cannot read it happened a second time it Happened a third time and finally this spirit uh, squeezed him and muhammad began to recite and that's what the, the word quran means recitation the oral thing because muhammad and his original followers were all illiterate and the verses had a little rhyme to them a little beat if i were to try to find something modern day that would be similar it would be rap music and um anyway so muhammad um uh, goes to his wife and he thinks he's demon possessed and his wife said well, um, maybe this is the spirit that appeared uh, to um, you know Moses way back and then uh, anyway so he spends spends time with his spirit for several years and um, then he begins his faith and he is in Mecca and he makes very few converts. At one time he's chased out of town for disturbing the peace and he has nowhere to go. He uh, he only made 70 converts in 12 years. And so he goes north to a city called Medina and it's run by Jews, three Jewish tribes there. And they're nice. And they let Muhammad in as a Muslim immigrant and they reject his faith, but they allow him to stay. So he goes into minority neighborhoods and he begins to organize a following sort of like a community organizer. And he, in a sense agitates against the Jewish leaders of the town. And he finally pressures the Jews to make a treaty with him and his new followers and the Jews do. So now Mohammed is a political leader in addition to being a religious leader. And Mohammed's followers in Mecca, they get confrontational and argumentative and threatening. So they get chased out of town and uh, they go to Medina And Muhammad allows his followers to rob the caravans headed back to Mecca in retaliation for the Meccans having chased him out of town. And he becomes a military leader. And Muhammad fights in 66 battles and raids in the next eight years before he dies. He kills an estimated 3,000 people. And uh, within five years of him coming into the Jewish town of Medina, there's not a Jew left in Medina. They were chased out, killed or enslaved. And so the three phases of muhammad's life were he was a religious leader then he becomes a political leader then he becomes a military leader and since he is the ideal muslim we have a 1400 year track record of muslims coming into countries just as religious refugees right because muhammad was a refugee he was chased out of mecca and then they gravitate to their neighborhoods and they begin to get involved politically And want the host country to to change to accommodate them and so forth. And then there's outbreaks of random violence. And the previous inhabitants of the neighborhoods no longer feel safe and move out. And they take over the neighborhood. And they do enough neighborhoods, they take over a city. They take over enough cities, they take over the country. And so it's, um, again, a 1,400-year track record where we can observe this pattern. And it's, um, you know, in nature you have domestic species and then you have invasive species that are a little more aggressive and end up crowding out the the domestic ones and this is just the same thing only ideological
1: Wow, that's just in- incredible when you think of uh, you know the what you've already stated before and not to mention socialism and so forth but you know uh, considering everything that we know uh, in terms of the history of Islam and you know specifically, even Sharia law. Have you seen any uh, of Sharia law, the law of Islam, coming in and, and trying to take part here in in America?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it already has, um, and uh, it's being allowed. So the the fourteen hundred year track record in the book. The the title of the book is "Whatever American Needs to Know About the Quran, I bring through how uh, Muhammad dies in six thirty two A D. And within the next 50 years, the rightly guided caliphs, who are the leaders of Islam after Muhammad, they conquer Egypt. People forget Egypt had been Christian for six centuries, evangelized by Mark that wrote the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Amir ibn al invades Egypt and uh, very similar to the same fashion. So the Coptic Christians in Egypt And the word Coptic is the Egyptian word for Egyptian, right? They're being persecuted by the Byzantine Christians from Constantinople. And the uh, Muslims come up to the borders and say, we'll help you drive out those Byzantine Christians. And the Coptics are like, really? You'll help us? And they let them in. Well, they don't just drive them out. They end up taking over and and killing and cutting out the tongues and and, uh, burning churches of the Coptics. But it's too late because now they're already in. And then the Muslim under Caliph Umar conquered the Holy Land, and then they conquer Syria. People forget Syria was the first country that was completely Christian, evangelized by the Apostle Paul. The name uh, Christian originated in Syria, and the Syrian Christians evangelized East like the Greek Christians did West. They even made their way through India and Mongolia, even to China. By the sixth century, there were Syrian Christians there. Anyway, so the uh, Caliph Umar conquered Syria and then they conquered North Africa. People forget all of North Africa was Christian. There used to be 250 dioceses. Uh, that is the term for like a, a Catholic area, but, but this is centuries before the Reformation, so it was all pretty well one church. But there were 250 of these dioceses along North Africa. St. Augustine of Hippo uh, in the 5th century, he was from Carthage. Today, that's Tunisia. So, in 10 years, the Muslims conquer all of North Africa. And then in the year 711, you had Spain. There were some warring Christian Visigothic kingdoms in Spain. And they didn't get along with each other. And one of them gets the bright idea to go across the Strait of Gibraltar, gather some of these Islamic hordes, and bring them over to help their side. And when they come over, they're like, well, gee, uh, this is sort of like coming in where the Coptic Christians are being invaded by the Byzantine Christians. We'll take advantage of the division. And in 10 years, the Muslims conquered all of Spain, carried away tens of thousands into slavery. They crossed the Pyrenees Mountains, and they're finally stopped outside of Paris at the Battle of Tours in 732 A.D., just 100 years after the death of Muhammad in 632 A.D. They go from Arabia to Paris in a 100 year military campaign. And the Pope is Pope Gregory. And he begs anyone that can to help Charles Martel, who stops the Muslims at the Battle of Tours just outside of Paris. And the Muslims were fighting on horseback while the Europeans were fighting on foot. And the Muslims had this brand new military invention called a scimitar sword made of this light, flexible steel. Uh, and the Europeans were using heavy metal swords that you would have to use two hands. So the, the European swords, you had to be on foot to be able to swing these big swords. But the Muslim sword was so light, you could hold the reins of the horse in one hand, the scimitar sword in the other. And at a full gallop, they literally could slice someone in half. So they were unstoppable. It took 700 years to drive the Muslims out of Spain. And then they came around the other side of the Mediterranean and the Turks converted to Islam. And they began to conquer into the Holy Land and into what is today Turkey. The Greek Orthodox Christians beg the Catholic West for help. The West sends help. It's called the First Crusade. There's nine major crusades. In the crusades end the muslims finally conquer constantinople it was the christian capital of europe for a thousand years it's conquered in 1453 by sultan Mamet ii and when constantinople falls to sultan mammoth ii in 1453 it cuts off the land trade routes from europe over to india and china so they used to go through Constantinople to the China Silk Road, across the Gobi Desert, the caravans and that trade. Well, when Constantinople falls, it cuts off that trade. So the Europeans begin to look for a sea route to get to India and China. And in 1492, Columbus thinks he made it to India, and so he names the people he meets the Indians. Think of it. We never would have called Native Americans Indians at an option for Islamic jihad. Everybody that hates Columbus needs to turn one chapter back in the history book and realize he never would have set sail had not the expansionistic uh, Muslim Turks had conquered Constantinople in 1453, cutting off the land routes to India and China. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is pretty incredible to to you know kind of get an overview there and and we are speaking with William J Federer specifically right now on his book What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran and I think this is a, a great time to ask the question uh, just wondering if this statement was true specifically because we were talking about Egypt in the very beginning because President Barack Obama actually visited Cairo, Egypt, and on June fourth, two thousand nine, said Islam has always been a part of America's story. Is there any truth to that statement, uh, Mr. Federer?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so um, Muhammad had gotten a verse from his Allah that said, uh, Allah has given you the slave girls as your booty. So they would rob caravans and they would get the slave women and then they would sell them in their slave markets. And then they began to raid on sea. And so they would uh, took over North Africa, which did two things. One, it cut off trade, so Europe is economically brought to a standstill. Right, all the trade you know, that was going across the Mediterranean stopped. One of the main things that was purchased from Egypt was papyrus reeds that they made paper out of. So, when the Muslims conquered Egypt, Europe suddenly had a paper shortage. And they began to write less and write on parchment animal skins. And the less writing led into the dark ages. And um, anyway, so as they conquered, they began to raid. And so they raided the coast of Italy, coast of France, coast of Spain. And in 846 AD, 11,000 Muslim pirates raided Rome, Italy. And they trashed the Basilica of St. Peter's and they trashed the bones of St. Peter and St. Paul. And it was after that that Pope Leo decided to build a 39-foot wall around uh, the Basilica of St. Peter's, that they later ter- called the Vatican. Um, but uh, and then there were entire Italian cities that would move from the coast up into the mountains so they wouldn't get raided, and their women taken away and sold into slavery in North Africa. And they would raid the coast of Spain and carry away ten to thousand. There were whole Catholic orders in Europe through the Middle Ages called the Trinitarians. The head of the order was called the Ransomer. And they would collect alms and donations at church services and go under a white flag to North Africa to try to buy your friend back, who was captured uh, by the Muslim pirates. And uh, one of the Muslim leaders was um, um, in uh, Morocco, and um, uh, he had like hundreds of captured European white women as wives, and he had like 1,042 children, supposedly some record, and um, and he had African slaves that he would hunt just for the fun of it. One time they captured a Portuguese ship and they had this nice hatchet and he hacked to death one of his African slaves just to see how well the the hatchet worked. And so uh, during this time, they went, ventured into the Atlantic and lo and behold, they raided Ireland. And um, there's the stolen village of Baltimore, Ireland, some of the Muslim pirates came up at nighttime and surprised the town on the coast and rounded up everybody and put them on ships and sold it. they raided, um, Iceland and carried away people into slavery and even the pilgrims 1625, the pilgrims, you know, when the first Thanksgiving, right? They saved up 800 pounds of beaver skins to send back to England for trade. And William Bradford writes that a Turkish man of war, captured the ship in the English Channel, took it to Morocco and sold the captain and the crew into slavery. And because of the ship taken by the Turks, all trade was dead. So these pilgrims saving up beaver skin saying, hey, when you come back, I really need, you know, some cows and some... uh," Well, guess what? Uh, They had to face the same thing they were facing. So the um, uh, Morocco was where this Sultan was. And so the European countries would pay annual tributes, extortion money, to these Muslim pirate kingdoms to leave their country's ships alone. England, Spain, Sweden, France would pay millions of dollars, and America was covered under the British tribute payment. But as soon as America declared its independence from Britain, the Muslims in Morocco said, gee, you've got to pay up. And so when Thomas Jefferson became a president, the president, the day after his inauguration, he gets a demand letter from the Pasha of Tripoli saying, I want a quarter of a million dollars, or I'm going to declare war in America. And Jefferson said, I did the only reasonable thing. I sent in a squadron of ships to the Mediterranean and that's called the first Barbary pirate war. And, uh, and then there was a second Barbary pirate war. And, um, but um, just a fascinating history
1: there. Yeah, that actually is is quite interesting. And we think about different edicts that are made and uh, adopting certain uh, protectorates and, and so forth. So I'd love for you to describe, because we have a lot of Armenian brothers and sisters that we're r- really close with and love. And so I'd love for you to describe what happened to over 1.5 million Armenian Christians when President Woodrow Wilson fa- failed to convince the U.S. Senate in 1922 to adopt Armenia as a protectorate.
2: Yeah, so in most of these countries, only 10 to 20 percent of the country was Muslim. Uh, they would keep the Christians, Jews, and over in India, um, they'd keep the native populations as the taxpayers. So the Muslims would not pay the tax. These second class captured citizens would pay the tax. And so there wasn't any real motivation to have them convert to Islam because when they converted, the fewer people paying taxes and so they were allowed to live but every year they would have to ransom their life and pay an enormous tribute payment if they didn't have enough money they and their family would be sold into slavery and so when you had um in the late 1800s the sultan abdul hamid ii of the ottoman empire uh he has you know his dozen wives or so Um, but he is economically hurting uh, in debt to a lot of the European powers. And then World War I begins to heat up and the Germans need oil. There's no oil wells in Germany. And so they go down and meet with the Sultan and say, we want to build a Berlin Baghdad railroad. And the Sultan says, yeah, but I'll do it in exchange for some guns and so forth. And so, they get pulled in now. Britain makes a treaty with the Iran or Persia, and uh, to get oil, so that's where you get the Iranian, uh, you know, oil company. Uh, so Iran is Persia, and it's siding with Britain. The Ottoman Empire, Turks, are siding with Germany. Half of World War One took place in the Middle East, and uh, afterwards, uh, the Ottoman Empire is gone. Remember, Sir Lawrence of Arabia, he goes down and tries to get these Arabs to side with the British against the Turks, and they do. And then afterwards, these Arabs said, "Well, we want all this new land in the Middle East," and uh, the British are like, "Well, you know, we'll we'll do something." And so the British give you know Israel to Israel, uh, but then they create Jordan, Transjordan, they create you know Syria, Iraq, these different countries, and and uh, and so they were going to divide up. The what was part of the Ottoman Empire, but Turkey, they were going to divide it up and give it to the French. And Ataturk, who is the father of the Turkish Republic, he rallies the base of Turks. They repel the French, and they set up this French Republic. I mean, this this Ottoman, uh, it's no longer Ottoman, it's the Turkish Republic. Well, during this time, you had Greeks that said, hey, just like these other countries you know, broke away and Israel got its ancient land back, we would like our ancient Greeks, Greece land back that had been taken by the Turks. And then, but another one's Armenia. And they historically were the first country that was officially Christian with their king, you know, back way back in the third century converting to Christianity. And, uh, and so they have a long tradition of, of being a persecuted Christian minority. At the 1919 Paris Peace Conference, a bunch of Armenians show up and they say, "Please, as you're dividing up the world after World War One, creating new countries, please give us our little country back." And the Sultan, uh, I'm sorry, the, the 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 Turks at the time didn't like that, um, and so there was this persecution that took place. Um, there was a group of Pashas, the three Pashas, and they committed a genocide against these uh, Armenian uh, minorities and, um, you know, raped and pillaged. And, and they did it pretty systematically. Um, first, they would allow the Armenian young men to join the military. And you thought they thought, well, this is great. You know, hundreds and hundreds of years we, we've been persecuted. Now we get to join the military. So So they all did. And then the Turkish general said, you know what, we're going to keep you in the military. You'll you'll have your rank and everything. We're just going to take away your guns. And, and you'll do like building road projects and so forth. And and then they would have them build a road with, you know, six feet of snow. And then they would just not have the food show up and they would just get frozen and emaciated. Then they would tell some village that um, there's a bunch of infidels over there. And supposedly the whole town would empty and even the women would take their kitchen knives and everyone wanted to kill an infidel because it would like guarantee them paradise because they got whipped into the of, of a jihad Islamist frenzy and uh and so there were no young men to protect the villages Armenian villages and then they attack the Armenian villages and you know put them all in a church and set the church on fire and horrible things there's a movie that um Christian Bale did called the promise and it, it very uh, accurately depicts this period. It, it shows that prior to World War One, you know, the Armenians were minorities, but they got along with the Turks. But then the Germans come down, and the Germans whip them into this, you know, frenzy mode again. And uh, and then it it you know has this I mean, these little Armenian villages being wiped out. And it's it's a tearjerker, but it's a really good movie. It's called The Promise. And um, anyway, uh, so a whole lot of those Armenians left and came to America. And I I have several friends who told me their family stories. Uh, They're shocking where one, you know, had an aunt who was pregnant and they made him do these long marches to the Syrian desert. And she gave birth to the baby on the march and they made her put the baby in a ditch and just let it continue walking and let the baby, you know, die. Uh, Another one, Uh, her name is uh, Cynthia Goshgorian. She became a Missouri state representative. Um, But she tells the story about her grandfather was an Armenian, you know, priest or Bishop. And, and uh, he had gone to the church to get the records, you know, um, because they were destroying the buildings and he gets shot and he comes home and he tells him to flee. And so her, her, um, grandfather, um, was just a young boy and he fled and, uh, he would go from town to town and he'd have to hide under the dead bodies of the Armenians while the mob went past and he'd get up again, hmm. finally made his way to Syria. Uh, some, you know, Muslim family gave him a meal and he went to sleep. He woke up, there's a rope around his foot and they said, you're now our slave. And he got sold a half dozen times. He said he was in Tunisia and they were making him put bags of grain onto a ship to sail. He didn't know where, but he hit among, hid amongst the bags of grain when the ship was landed. Uh, they, uh, he, Puts a bag of grain over his shoulder and walks down the plank. He's in France and he takes off and and then after several years he comes to America and and then um, and another friend um, uh, he uh, named last name Lira. He's from Albania, and he talked about how uh, the Turks would you know annually or or once a generation would go through and kill as many of the Albanian men as possible because he figured that. Someday they'll be grown up and rather than fight them, they'd rather do a preemptive strike. And so that his grandfather had to run up, live in the mountains for six months as just a young boy. And anyway, then he finally came to America. And, uh, so, so this is a, um, a story that people that have been there. Now, Western Europeans, they didn't experience this because they had the Eastern Europeans as the buffer between them. And so they got to do all their renaissance and their artwork and all their nice, nice stuff. But it was the people on the, 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 the borders in Hungary and, and Poland um, and, you know, all of the Macedonia and, and all those countries that had to fight uh, this uh, Islamic aggression. And in the book, I tell the stories. You know, one of the most famous ones was, um, by the way, how am I doing time wise?
1: You got about one minute, 30 seconds left.
2: Oh, okay. Perfect. So, um, <laughs> 1529, 100,000 Muslims surround Vienna, Austria, and, uh, they're finally, um, defeated. Um, but, um, th- as they were conquering, uh, through Greece, the Greek scholars flee West and they bring with them their Greek new testaments. And so these Greek scholars are now letting these European scholars translate the Bible all the way back to Greek. This lays the foundation for what? the Reformation. <laughs> and, um, Anyway, but it's a fascinating book. It's called um, What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran. Um, And uh, my website's AmericanMinute.com.
1: Yeah, no, and as as he already mentioned, we have been speaking with Bill Federer uh, specifically in this episode about what every American needs to know about the Quran. And I think there are a lot of stories that uh, he could have went on and told some wonderful things about. But these things are imperative. These things are important. Every issue we've talked about today is an important topic, specifically here as we've been dealing with a lot of the things going on in America. But as you can hear, this is stuff that goes on around the world. So we want to thank so much. Will J. Federer for helping us out and talking us through a lot of these stories and we want to thank you guys so much for joining us and God bless you
0: you've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries if you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202 Simi Valley, California 93062 or call us toll free at 1866 JC truth that's 1866 528 7884 we hope you'll tune in next time on the good fight radio show